Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekusli. She took you around the world in two minutes and brought you back here to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I am Sandra Ezekusli. What should police reform look like? What should police reform look like? That's uh, still our question today. I've been asking it every day this week because while most Nigerians agree that the police force needs to be reformed, I don't hear a lot of conversation about what precise policy actions uh, should be taking. We all know the type of police force that we want. Uh, Most people can describe it. But how do we get there? That's what police is actually about. That's what we're trying to discuss on the show. Our big hard fact today is that in 2017, the U.S. Embassy sponsored human rights training for 28 senior Nigerian police officers. Now, some people may say that that is too little, too late. But it happened. There's been different kinds of trainings happening over and over and over. Now, today and for the next few days, we're going to talk a lot about uh, police reform. We started last week, Thursday. Uh, We talked about recruitment. We continued uh, the conversation yesterday on Monday. And today, we're moving on to training. Because remember, I broke down the different um, categories where uh, police um, um, uh, reform can attack itself. You know, the different stages where... Police, police brutality can occur, police corruption can occur, policing can break down. We'll be talking about police reform, police training specifically, is my guest from yesterday and on Thursday. He's a policy expert who was consulted, uh, who uh, has consulted uh, for the World Bank for a number of years. He's now fooling the private sector as an executive in a fintech firm. Chief Andrew Boferba, welcome back to Hard Facts, Chief. Thank you, Sandra. And we'd also like to hear from you, Lagos. Remember, I'm still not working from the live studio, so you have to send your thoughts to me on social media. I know it's frustrating because you prefer to call, but please send your messages on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is Nigeria Info 99.3. Twitter is Nigeria Info FM. What do you think should be changed about the way police are trained. I'm talking about specifics now. We know that the training needs to change and they need to go through mental evaluation, etc., etc. And we talked about that during the recruitment process. But what do you think? What specific things do you think need to change about the way police officers are trained? What do you think should be added to their training program? What do you think should be removed from their training program? Let's start with an overview, Chief. How does training in the police force currently work? Okay, great. Yeah, so uh, the way it currently currently works, training is, of course, almost entirely in-house. You, you, may, you, you gave us a great example at the top of the show, which was uh, where the U.S. Embassy was providing training, specific training, human rights training, for a few officers. Now, even such external training is still going to be channeled through, you know, of course, the police force. Now, usually what happens is uh, the police force has various levels of training. You have training for recruits, and then you have ongoing training for, for serving officers, which is often lumped under what they call refresher courses. So uh, the training for recruits is normally done by the police academy, the police colleges. 
um, refresher courses. Um, every police command has its own school where it um, in that in, its, in that school it handles um, you know refresher courses for the officers that are already um, serving. And then, of course, the police command centrally through the police college and also directly through the police command in Abuja also has its own training facilities. Um, and so a lot of the time when you need training for very senior officers at the highest levels, uh, that's where it happens. So essentially what happens now, so the recruit training, obviously, once an officer is recruited into the police force, uh, in fact, the very first thing that goes to them once they are vetted is the training. And the training, you know, depending on the level where the officer is being recruited into, uh, you know, there's some really recruited at the rank and file, then some at, at more senior levels. The recruitment and the, the training is different. The duration of the training differs based on what level of recruitment, uh, what level, rather, of service they've been recruited into. The duration varies. Um, but not just the duration, also the content of the training period. Um, the amount of physical training, which will differ. The amount of um, classwork, academic training, will also differ. Some of that, you know, with law and all of the, all those other things that they have to do. And then you have also always have the strong skills component. Because, of course, police officers are actually doing practical things on the streets, in the station, whatever. So all of that is being taught to them during that training period. And then at the end of that, their officers, they are given their full rank. And then from that point on, the only training they receive is through these um, refresher courses and the courses that they need to pass in order to move from um, from one rank of the police force to the next. So that's essentially you know, where we stand in terms of training for the police. I see. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next level, right? Let's, let's take a look at... Um um, other things. Who's responsible for administering the training? You talked about, um, you know, private sector that comes in sometimes to train. You talked about NGOs as well. Who's responsible for administering the training? Who's responsible for setting the training program? So ultimately, uh, the training the training program for the police. Ultimately, the the person who you can say is the first line has the first line of responsibility there is the uh, commandant of the police college in Ikeja. So the, the commandant of the police college in Ikeja and, and their staff are the primary source of, um, the, you know, the primary office in charge of setting, determining what the day-to-day um, content of the police training um, schedule looks like. But of course, they don't just operate in a vacuum. The commandant of police college Ikeja can just wake up and decide. You know what? Um, from now on, yoga is going to be a part of um, the training for police officers. Or from now on, all police officers need to learn how to, you know, you know, play tennis. He can't just do that. Well, I guess in those particular, he can only do that if it if those those decisions he's taking are within the constraints that have been put on him by the laws. Um, specifically here we're talking about the Police Act, which prescribes some uh, guidelines for t- police training. So you have the Police Act, you have the, uh, then you have the whatever standing orders have been issued by the Inspector General of Police, and you have the, uh, yeah, I think those are, the, those are the, the major guideposts by which the police commandant, the commandant of the police college in Ikeja 
operate in, in, in guiding their staff in setting the curriculum for training of police at all levels, from recruitment all the way through to refresher, all the way through to, um, you know, prom- um, promotion classes. Okay. Now, what's the current philosophy, do you know, that governs training of police in Nigeria? In what ways do you think it, it needs to change? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think I think it's fair to say that the police force itself doesn't appear to have a conscious philosophy about its training. In the sense, what I mean by that is, it's it is it is not consciously the police force is not consciously saying to itself, "Well, this is how we we see training. This is what training needs to do," and uh, this is you know. Like you said, the philosophy, like, this is how we think about training. Okay. So when you don't have a conscious philosophy, you don't actively create a philosophy and act on it, you end up with a passive philosophy, something that unconsciously, a philosophy that is there, you don't even you yourself, who is being governed by the philosophy, you don't realize it's there, and that philosophy is governing your activity. And that's what we see with the police force in Nigeria, is there is a philosophy under the surface guiding and governing how police are trained. And that philosophy is simply police, you are an occupational force. You are a force of occupation. These people who you are policing, these civilians, are not citizens who you have to protect. They are um, hostile who you have to keep in check, who you have to keep in place, who you have to keep under control. And We've talked about the genesis of the Nigerian police force as a constabulary for a colonial power. So it was from the beginning, from its genesis, Nigerian police was designed to help the government in that situation. That the government in that case was the colonial government, the British government. So the, the police was there to help the government take control of the population. And that meant if it needed violence, if it needed um, to have, you know, human rights abuses to keep that population in check, then go ahead and do that because the most important thing is not the rights of those people. The most important thing is the stability of the society for government. So that has always been the philosophy governing Nigerian policing in general, not just training, but Nigerian policing in general. And then it sort of carries over into the training of yours. And so the police are trained at the, at the most primal level here in Nigeria, at the most basic. The police are trained, first and foremost, to stop seeing Nigerian citizens as people. Stop seeing them as people, first of all. So if they're not people, then they're definitely not your boss. They're definitely not your employer. They're definitely not the people whom you are empowered to protect. No. They are the people who you have to put down on behalf of the people who employ you, which is the police force itself. And so you, you see that situation grow over time. And then when you think about the ways that these police officers are recruited and the, the attitude that they, that is, because philosophy is not just what's written down, philosophy is what is shown. So when you think about the way um, the senior police officers relate to the police officers in training, and when you, you realize that they are being extorted, 
where you realize that they are being pushed onto the streets as you know and being basically told that look this job you've been given this this serial number that you have and this gun in your hand is a license for you to extort money from the population whatever way it comes of course they're going to carry that over into their police work so if on the one hand you could say there is no clear overt philosophy on the part of the police in training of new police but on the other hand you can say there is an unconscious confidence philosophy in all aspects of Nigerian police work and you see it in the training and that philosophy is oppressed. Okay. Now in what ways um, do you think that needs to change? Uh, well I guess the first and foremost is you stop oppressing us. I think I think and you stop we, we we need to have a police force that stops training officers to oppress. But that's a very facile way to answer that question. I think what it comes down to first and foremost is uh, you need, um, we need to sit down and there needs to be a conversation about what Nigerians want from their police force. And once that is clear, then we need those who are in charge of training the police to rearrange, rebuild the training program around that ideal of this is what Nigerians want is what they expect from a police officer. So now we're, our training program is geared towards building that police officer. Now, in up top of my head, I think if I say these things, I don't think there's any Nigerian, you know, with, you know, with their full head on their shoulders who disagree with me. I think the first thing that Nigerians want from their police is a police force that doesn't kill innocent people, a police force that doesn't extort people, a police force that does not use its powers, its policing powers, legitimate police powers in illegal or illegitimate ways to aggregate more power for itself, more money for itself at the expense of the people, a police force that protects the citizen. So that has to be the guiding principle. So it has to start with the way the citizen is described in the training. It has to start with the police officer being reconditioned or conditioned to see the citizen as their boss. To see the citizen, and that is why you often hear lift service being paid. And you hear people say everything that there is a police reform um, um, proposal on the table. One of the first things you hear is, well, we should stop calling it a police force. We need to start calling it a police service. Okay, great. Sounds pretty. But if you change the name from police force to police service, and it's still the same police officers in this police service with the same training they've received in the past, do you think they're suddenly going to stop like robbing people and exporting people at checkpoints and shooting people for no reason simply because the name of the of the um, of the of the department has changed from police force to police service? I mean, when it changed from NEPA to PHTN, did you suddenly have light? You know. That's the question at the end of the day. So it's more than just this cosmetic thing of changing the name from force to service. It has to be a more root and branch approach of retraining the police officer to see himself as a servant of the people, not a force against the people. Okay, let's talk about the training itself. Um, First of all, the training that cadets um, go on to become um, senior officers, what does it look like? But before you get to that... Um, do all new recruits get the same training? No, that that's actually training. Like I said earlier on, training is different for each 
type of recruit. So um, the training you get to become a rank and file police officer is not the same training that um, somebody else would get to become like, you know, it was senior officer when they come in. Remember, we told I told you um, yesterday, we talked about it yesterday, I believe it was, was it on Thursday, we talked about how different, um, um, what they call it, because enter the police force degree with a school event certificate. Other people can enter the police force with higher degrees, and if you enter with higher degree, you get you don't start at the, at the bottom. You start at higher levels, higher ranks. And so even that entry to those higher, higher ranks, your training is different. You don't go through the same basic training as, you know, the rank and file. So it's, the, the training is different in content and in duration. So, yeah, there's different training for cadets that are entry at the entry level for rank and file, different training for the cadets entering to become, um, you, know, you know, senior officer. So, okay, so you, you wanted to talk about the senior officer training. Um, there, you have, what you have, first of all, is it's very, it's very regimented. So... Um, I think I have some notes here about that. Yeah, so it starts off with six months basic training in law and foot drill. So foot drill is basically um, marching around. Right? I find it interesting that there's training in there for the law. So you you just said six months basic training in law. Yes. Very interesting, isn't it? So you have, and again, I'm pointing out this is training for senior officers. For those entering the police force at, as senior officers, who are these people? What are their what are, what are their qualifications already? The, uh, most of them are officers with um, either a first degree. A first, most of them have first degrees. Some of them have wife. So those are the ones entering at senior level, senior entry level. I see. Yes, not at entry level rank and file. I see. Yes. So six months basic training in law and foot drill. Two weeks attachment for training in practical police work at a police station. So basically, after their six months, you now send them to a police station and they're basically there being trained like apprentices, apprentice police officers in the station. Then after that, one month leadership and citizenship training course at some recognized center somewhere. Then one month first aid lecturers course that they can, you know, rescue people, first aid. Three months advanced training in law, good drill, and duties and, and, and duties of the rank, and then one final period um, where, in, where they are posted to a police formation, and they do practical police work. And that one now, the IG is the one supervising that to determine, you know, um, whether they are ready for, the, for for their final posting. But this sounds good. This sounds good. This sounds really solid. Because if the cadets have to train this to do this and then go on to become senior officers, um, this sounds good. But now the question you have to ask, as you're saying this sounds good, is how many of these officers are the ones you meet on the street? How many of them are the ones you meet at the checkpoint? How many of them are the ones that actually you interface with when you need a police officer that knows the law? How many of them are the ones that you meet when the police officer is accusing you of possession of that's the critical question. And like I said, you have different levels. These are not the junior rank and file. Tell me about the junior rank and file. Tell me about the junior recruit. What training do they receive? Now, you notice how long the training for these senior officers is, right? Now, already we talked about for the senior officers, six months basic foot drill. First, just by itself. Then one month leadership. Then one month first aid. Then a final three months of foot drill. 
So already, like, um, they've already got like a year of training. Now, under under the, the law, for the junior officers, all the law specifies for junior officers is three to six months training. Now, when you go to the various types of junior officers, you now have them say three months of foot drill, two months of practical training, one month of training in this particular, say, let's say it's a driver, so he gets one month or two months of driver's training, one month or two months. The, for the junior officers, the vast majority of their training is simply foot drill and then whatever work they're going to be doing in the police. So you're saying that the junior recruits are not given the same strong grounding in the law as the senior recruits? That's exactly what I'm saying. Why is that? Um, we talked about this on our first day. They don't, or they don't have the same level of education. Remember, we talked about this. And you, there is a limit to what you can do. There's a limit to what you can teach a man with a first school living certificate. There's a limit to what you can teach a man with junior work. There's a limit to what you can teach a man even with his work, who has not gone, to, who has not obtained the first degree. There are limits, so you can't expect somebody who is coming into the police force with a primary school living certificate to get um, two, three months courses that six months cumulative of intense study of the law. It's not going to happen. It happens, that person will come away from it more confused than they went in. Like, it's just that simple. And, you know, in that sense, the police command and those who wrote the police act, fools, uh, those who wrote the police act are not fools in the sense that they knew that when you keep the um, educational requirements low, the junior rank and file uh, uh, and recruits, there's a limit to what you can now teach them. You can't start teaching those people the law in, in, in strong terms, in a way that helps them understand and interpret the law. So what do they simply do? Instead of saying, you know what, that means we can't, in, we can't recruit from that pool. We need to increase the educational requirement. Instead of doing that, they simply say, no, what we'll do is let's reduce the standard of what they need to learn to be police officers. No, we don't need to teach these ones the law. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is those are the police officers that you and I are most likely to face on the road. Those are the police officers that are in SAD. Those are the police officers that are in the anti-culti squad. They are the police officers in Mopu. They are the police officers who are just regular police officers staying and putting you behind the counter and telling you bail is free. So, you have, we have to ask ourselves, has this been a good idea? Has it been a good idea to say, you know what, police officers don't need to have that high of an education. Only a few of them need to have a higher education. And with those ones with a higher education, we are going to now give them a very good training in law and human rights. Like, by the way, you talked about the U.S. Embassy giving that training to 28 officers a couple of years ago. Uh, those are all senior officers, right? Those are the senior officers. They're the ones who get those kind, do that kind of, you know, great training. And by the way, this is also a problem we often have in Nigeria where you save the best for those at the top. It starts in the household where um, fathers eat meat and the children don't eat meat, even though children eat protein more than adults. And it's a, it's a philosophy we tend to have. So all the goodies go to the people at headquarters. All the goodies go to the most senior officers, even if they are not the ones who always need it. So all this training ends up going to more senior officers who are not on the streets. So who are not the ones interfacing with citizens? But they want it. They want the training, so it, it appears on their TV, it appears on their resumes, it helps them move forward in their careers. But the rank and file, 
who are the ones that are tormenting Nigerians on the streets are not getting this level of training. Partly because the opportunities are not presented to them, but also and chiefly because they enter the police force with a far lower education level. So the training it cannot be expected to be taken on. All right, we have to take a quick break. We'll come back and then continue this conversation. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3. Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekusli. Still bringing you away from the live studio. I'm Sandra Ezekusli. Hopefully I'll be in the live studio um, sometime this week. <laughs> but yes, uh, I have Chief Andy Ogbo show with me. He is an executive with a fintech organization. And uh, he also consulted for the World Bank for at least a decade. And he's in talks about the reforms that need to happen with the police. We started this conversation last week, Thursday. If you missed any of the conversations, search for Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekostredo available. Um, so you can listen to the previous episodes, the episode from last Thursday, um, from yesterday, Monday, and now this episode after we're done with this conversation. Before the break, Chief Apofrebo was telling us that junior recruits are not given the same strong grounding in the law as the senior recruits. And he was telling us why that is. Now, remember, of course, that cadets who go on to become senior officers have to take a six-month basic training in law and foot drill, two weeks attachment for training in practical police work at a police station, one month leadership and citizenship training course at a recognized center, one month first aid uh, lay lecturer's course, uh, three months advanced training in law, foot drill, and the duties of his future a substantive rank, a final period of attachment to a police formation for further training in practical police work of a duration to be determined by the Inspector General. And you hear that, and you're like, oh, well, that's a lot, that's good. But then the chief tells us that, uh, yeah, that's for people who want to become senior uh, police officers. For the junior recruits, they're not given the same grounding in the law as the senior recruits. And he says that the reason that is, is because a lot of the people who come in as junior recruits come in with their first school leaving certificate, like we talked about last week, Thursday. And Chief's argument is that these people um, do not have the same mental ability to absorb the complexity that are often existent um, within the law. Now, are these training elements enshrined in the law, Chief, or is it by regulation within the police or by standing orders set by the IG? Okay, before I answer that, let me just clarify. I, I'm not saying they don't have the same mental capacity, the mental capacity to do it. I think, you know, mental capacity, you have people who've never been, you know, had a day of school, but obviously that doesn't change your mental capacity. I'm just saying that they don't have the educational um, grounding and context to, to get it done. And that's really not even their fault that a feeling of the society in general, the state, has already made that failure by it. We shouldn't have so many people who only have a primary education. Uh, it should be easy for everybody, almost everybody, to at least finish secondary school. But onto your question about where this educational background, um, sorry, these requirements are coming from, uh, and the, the, well, it's the Police Act, simply put. The Police Act 
enshrines what um, like the, these requirements for training for senior officers are are written in written in the in the police act itself. And it's also the police act that gives us what the basic educational um, um sorry basic training um, guidelines for junior ranks for every rank. The police act gives it to us. What the police act is, is silent about is the content of uh, content of the training for promotion between from one rank to the next. That one is set by uh, the by the in, by the Inspector General of Police in conjunction with the uh, commandant of the police college, who is Benikeja, who is also in charge of training for the police in general. So that's pretty much how it's how it's how it lies. Now, if um, we want to use these guidelines, does that mean that we need to change the police act? I, I keep asking this question. I feel like I've asked this question like every single time we've had this conversation. So the amendment needs to pass um, the House of Reps, the Senate, and uh, get signed by the president. Am I right? Yes, you're correct, and I, and I like that you keep bringing it up because I think people need to understand that. That's where all the you know the power lies. People need to know. People need to see because it's one thing to say, "Oh, we want to reform the police." It's one thing to say, "Oh, we're giving an order for this and an order for that." But people need to see what institutional steps need to be taken to to change specific parts of policing. So when it comes to the guidelines for training, these specific guidelines, the only way to change them and have it be permanent, have it have force of law, is. Um, is changing the police act and uh, because the police act is what spells out how many months for drill how many months law training for so some of us argue that those kind of things should not even be in the police act in the first place that that's too granular that's too um um yeah, yes yes it's too it's too day-to-day too quotidian for going to be in a law these are the kind of things that should be in regulation that can be changed you know by whoever is the regulatory body, the governing body, should be empowered to change those regulations and set them as needs be. You can't have a situation where every time you need to change the um, education, uh, sorry, the training content of the training course for 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 entry into police at senior level, somebody has to go and change the police act. That's madness because how often do you get to amend the police act? Instead, actually, what I would suggest is an amendment to the police act that enshrines these training and um, breakdowns, these training guidelines in police regulation and then give it to a competent body to have the right to alter that regulation as and as an when needed. I think that's a much better way to do it. Okay. So without changing the law, within the current framework laid out by the Police Act, how are the specifics of the training program selected? Okay, great. Yeah, so again, we go back to that very nebulous figure in Ikeja, the commandant of the police college. The commandant of the police college is given a lot of latitude by law, um, subject to the uh, subject to the um, oversight of the inspector general. The commandant of the police college is given a lot of power to set the curriculum for training of police officers. And then sh- and all that happens is the only real restriction given to the commandant is make sure that whatever you're putting down corresponds to or fits into what the police act has laid out as 
the minimum requirements or the standard requirements for training for police officers at those levels. I see. Okay. Now, let's come to the next part, because at this point, I have to remind you of the Police Service Commission, right? You haven't mentioned them at all today. But yesterday, you told us how the PSD has supervisory and guiding powers over all police activities. Specifically, you mentioned recruitment and discipline. What about training? Yeah. Um, so I was going to come to them. So with the with the PSC, um, the way the PSC's power is, is is described in the Police Service Commission Act, um, it describes that the PSC um, its function is to formulate policies and guidelines for the appointment, promotion, discipline, and dismissal of officers of the Nigeria Police Force. So that's what the PSC's powers are. Now that's very broad and also very strong. And um, there's an interpretation of that which suggests suggest that the PSD also has the power over training. And how, do, how is that? Because if they, have, if they formulate policies and guidelines for appointment and promotion, it means they, they formulate guidelines for training because training is the central part of um, appointment and promotion like you can't appoint you can't recruit a police officer without training you can't appoint a police officer without training you can't promote a police officer without training in fact training is a central part of the guidelines for those things a, a police officer cannot be promoted if they haven't at, if they to a particular rank a police officer cannot be promoted to rank a if they have not undergone the specific, specific training set down for rank a same thing with with them um, being recruited into the force. The police officer cannot be recruited into the force at whatever level if they have not undergone the training for recruitment at that level. So, by that interpretation of the act, which is by, which is obviously a very broad act and the language is not very precise, by that interpretation it has been argued that the Police Service Commission has oversight over the training regimen of, of, of police officers at all levels. And so, yes, the argument can be made that the Police Service Commission, again, should take it to, to, to play a role and should be able to give directives to the, both to the IG and to the commandant of the police college in Ikeja as to what particular training programs should entail and contain. Okay, let's take a few comments. Twitter has no such who says, how can the police officer on the street not be schooled in the law and the rights of the citizens that he is? Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwisle. So the call ended abruptly, unfortunately. I apologize about that. I think maybe the next conversation we'll have is uh, a review of the telecoms industry, maybe. But yes, I was reading a comment from Nostochuku before that call ended. I'm Sandra Ezekwesi. This is Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. And Nostochuku says, how can the police officer on the street not be schooled in the law and the rights of citizens that he is to protect? So clearly we have lower frank policemen who do not know the law nor their rights. How then do we expect them to administer the rights of the citizens? That's such a cool, great question there. 
We've got uh, somebody else who says, Sandra, I'm listening to you live on Hard Facts. Your guest has hit the nail on the head on the problem of the police force. First, we need to change the orientation. The police force sees itself as a force that helps the government to put the citizen in check and suppress. Okay. We've got more comments uh, on Twitter. El Sheriff simply says, I think they need the training more. And that's where El Sheriff ended. Temitaya Deleke says, what should be added to police training is civil orientation and justice. The civil part is that you are a public figure that will interact with people, so be polite and friendly. On justice, if you kill somebody uh, unlawfully, you'll face the music. John Ogunshe Mori says, most of Nigeria's problems are traceable to ineffectual police. No training will work as long as conditions of uh, the service remain the same. Most policemen are experiencing PTSD. Apart from that, community policing is the way to go. Nothing else will work. Okay, let me come back to you, Chikopo on that particular uh, comment that we got from uh, John Okunchimori. What are your thoughts? Yep. So um, I partially with John in the sense that training is not enough. Because, and here's the thing, we have two problems. When it comes to training, we have two problems running in parallel. You know, I, I, you, know you know me, and people will say that it sounds sometimes like I'm, I, I'm always saying on the one hand and on the other hand. But that's the truth about policy. And, you know, all the years, you know, um, all the years I spent formulating, you know, public health policy, you know, working with the World Bank, it, it teaches you that nothing is ever a clear cut or there's only one solution for it. Everything, there's always more than one problem at the same time. So with, with training, you have two, at least two problems. One problem is that a lot of the officers don't have enough training, right? That's one problem. The second problem is even the ones that have the training, the proper training, like the senior officers that we talked about before, they also are operating in a situation where they know the right things to do, but a lot of the time they seem to choose not to do them. And that's because there are not enough systems in place to put them in check so they can get away with doing the wrong thing. When the wrong thing is doing the wrong thing is beneficial for them or profitable to them, they choose to do the wrong thing. And why are they doing that? Because they're doing the wrong thing. So I think maybe down the line, if um, you know, you are able to bribe me to come back on the show again, uh, we are going to now talk instead about... Um, Maybe we'll be talking about discipline at some point down the line. And if we're talking about discipline, then um, we can talk about the, the fact that uh, there needs to be better, uh, better you know, frameworks in place for punishing police officers who know better when they do things that they've been trained not to do. So that's also a factor. Okay. All right. Uh, let's take a look at comments that you le- you, you've left for us on Facebook. We've got Princess Debbie uh, Delicate who says, I would say there should be a course in training where they get to unlearn what policing is not and relearn the right thing. A lot of people did not join the police because of their love for their countrymen. When you interview some of these people, you'll realize that a number of them are frustrated, angry, and broken people who just want to have access to arms and ammunition in order to be respected or seen as powerful. There should be a mind-changing training. Princess, thank you very much for that insightful comment. Mary Rosie Hedor says the training should include moral discipline and exclude thugs. 
possible. We've also got uh, a comment from Adekoya Kessman. I'm hearing the network drop in and out, so apologies about that. Adekoya Kessman says, Sandra, I tweeted at you this morning to watch a Metropolitan Police interview with Arise TV team. In the live interview, the guest said that sometimes they go to another country to make research about how police is being done. I don't know when we can have this standard in Nigeria. Hmm. Department says, to me, as long as this set of people currently occupying our political position are still there, they will only change the name because there's no good thing coming out from them. It will only switch from Nigeria Police Force to Nigeria Spring Squad. All right, Department. Chief of Buffer, let me come back to you as we wrap up the conversation. If you were, say, the chairman of the Police Service Commission, what steps would you be able to take to reform uh, police training without violating the Police Act? Yeah, it's always, there's always a, a catch in there. So if, no, you don't have absolute power. You have to work within these guidelines. So, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so within that guideline, without violating the, that pesky Police Act, uh, what you can do, all right, so one of your, one of your, the messages you read talked about how the Met, you know, the, the police in the UK, in London, goes, sometimes they go abroad or they get, um, you know, consultants from abroad and they learn how things are being done in other places. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in not reinventing the wheel. I'm a big believer in understanding that other places have also done things and done things right. So when it comes to, like, the curriculum for um, training police officers, um, we can look around and see, well, okay, what other people teach their police? Places where the police force or the police service, whatever they call them, are not as brutal as ours, are not as corrupt as ours. Well, okay, wow, you know, what's in the training? So we look at that. So we find different ways to improve the training. Um, definitely, like some of the things that I would recommend is we need to reduce the amount of marching up and down the police do, during training in the name of foot drill. Yes, it is important for them to be fit. Fitness training is an important part of policing, but police work is more with the mind than with the body. And, you know, the police is not the army. You know, the, the police is not the armed forces. So, and even the armed forces in the modern age, in this day and age, we are reducing the amount of, um, we're, we're reducing the proportion of physical training for the military in, in, in other countries. And it, it's taking on more of a cerebral academic uh, approach. The same thing is needed for the police. The police need to learn psychology. So apart from psychological testing, they also need to learn psychology. Psychology comes in handy in stuff like um, not just crowd control, but, you know, handling situations with um, citizens, you know, using um, non-forceful techniques to impose order, to impose your own um, authority and will as a police officer um, in um interrogation so you don't have to keep hanging people from the fan because now you have you, know, you understand psychology you, you have interrogation techniques uh, practical policing you know the tools of the trade as as it is currently practiced in more normal countries and you know, countries with more um more prepared more ready police forces so those are like the basic grounding and then also like a big push for training them in in terms of of power and citizens' rights. Because 
that's where the problem really lies. A lot of the time, the police in their training are being taught and are being shown that um, um, citizens don't really have any rights. And they're not really being, it's not being, oh, in Nigeria, oppression comes to a second nature. So when you have people being recruited into the police force, a lot more time needs to be spent, like, sort of being the oppression, you know, drumming it out of their head that people should be oppressed. Because if not, they will come with that Nigerian attitude of, oh, yes, people should be oppressed and start oppressing people as police officers. So a lot more attention has to be paid in re- to reorienting, reconditioning the police. Now, how do you do that within the, within the scope of the police service, um, the current police act? That's right. And, we, you know, we, like, say, through the police service commission. Exactly. So now, the police service act, when it comes to the lower, um, lower ranks, the police service, the police act, I meant to say, is very big in terms of what the training should be. It just gives basic time frames. So, if you, if now Nigerians are serious about reforming the police, what they need to do is put pressure on the police service commission to do a couple of things. First and foremost, the police service commission needs to create a new, new set of guidelines for the syllabus that operate within the guidelines that are set down the police act. Police act takes three to six months training for um, new recruits. Here's what after six months should look like, right? Here's how much of that time should be spent in, with um, with training in psychology. Here's how much should be trained in training in civics and, 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 and here's how much, here's how much. That's the first one. The second thing is the police service commission has to use its authority to take most of this training away from the direct of the police commandant and the police college in Ikeja. Why? Because you can't have police who have been trained in the same old bad ways now training new police officers. So that we, are not, we need to have like a come to Jesus moment where there's a reconciliation, reconciliation where the police service commission says, look, police, police college, you want to continue, you will continue supervising the training in name. But in actual fact, we are going to bring in people from outside to actually conduct this training in your name. And that has to be like all the way up from a recruit all the way to the very top to AIGs. All that training needs to be removed from the direct control of police officers and given to, you know, if it means bringing police officers from other countries, fine. If it means setting up, you know, police training and institutions in our universities, fine. But something has to be done to externalize the training from the police directly. Chief Anibofurbo, thank you so much for your time. You've been fantastic. Great to be here. I will bring you back. So let me make you make a commitment right here on air right now that you will be back. I just... I let's talk the Egunje now because it's not only police that collects fifteen errors. <laughs> okay, Lagos. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And uh, thank you for sending your comments uh, to me via social media. We're trying to see how you can actually uh, contribute to the live shows. And I'm able to pick your calls. And uh, we're able to talk uh, more efficiently. But in the meantime, I'm online at Sandra Kosley. S. S. Kosley on Twitter. S. S. Kosley on Instagram. Sandra is obviously on Facebook. Coming up is Conversations with Rufai after the news at 6. And, of course, um, after Conversations with Rufai, we've got sports coming your way. The best sports show is right here on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I am Sandra Ezekwesteri. Those were your hard facts, Vegas. Good night.